It is Friday, and you know what that means. Match Week 3 is upon us. On this lovely day, we bring you the Match Week preview and what we're hoping for from the games ahead. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, I feel like we are really cranking these out. I hope that you all are enjoying them and that while we are going with quantity, that you also find that there is quality with these pods. And this morning, for once, everyone, I have a coffee drink. I went to the lovely Daily Grind, and I got a drink called the Jitter Machine. So when you say Jitter Machine, are is it just a bunch of espresso? Does Can your heart in your older age handle that? That remains to be seen. If I'm not on the next episode, I've passed on. Uh, groundskeepers, if something does happen to Andrew, we will probably take a one-week hiatus. And then I will be running this pod solo. And from there, I will be having auditions for my co-host. I feel that this audition process will be similar to somewhere between The Voice and America's Got Talent. I feel like The Voice is important because I don't want to judge you off your appearances for this pod. I want to judge you off, you know, your silky smooth voice, your personality that needs to be able to vibrate out of you and through the camera through your microphone to our viewers at home. So that's really where I go. I'm not sure which of my friends I will call up to be um, other judges for this competition yet, but I will also have auditions for those. So please stay tuned. All right, friends. Well, I am drinking my Califia cold brew once again. It's delicious. It's uh, quick and easy for me in the morning. We do not have a sponsorship with them. So I am actually telling you this because I genuinely enjoy the drink Califia if you are if you are listening we will gladly take the sponsorship we believe at the beginning of our pod when we discuss which drinks we are drinking that would be the perfect time for a nice little sponsorship in good news we should have the EPL questionnaire done by the end of next week for all those who are sitting there thinking well who do I support who should I support don't worry we have that coming we are working day and night to get that questionnaire done uh, we would like to when we make it public to not have to make a thousand edits to it, which is why it's taking a little bit of time. Speaking of things that take time, editing and producing. This is a two-man show currently. We would love to hire someone who could produce and edit this show for us. So we are in the market. Now, with that being said, the pay is, it, it's, not min, it's not zero, but it will be one beer or a cup of coffee per episode. And maybe some, some of you out there want to get into the this business they want to you know be on a pod and maybe they they love all these different programs that can be used maybe they are a sound engineer maybe they are a music theory major and they would like to use some of their wonderful skills possessed by their ears to help us with this pod so we are in the market if you or someone you know may be interested please reach out to us you can either dm us on instagram at inside the grounds pod or you can email us at insidethegroundspod at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, to start our Match Week 3 preview, we're going to do something special for you. We're both going to give you our must-watch games of the weekend. What's yours, Mateo? Oh, I get to start? Yes. I was not ready for that. Too bad. Um, And I definitely had this prepared well in advance of the show. I did not forget that we would be doing this. So I'm, I'm going to go a little bit you know, out of left field here. 
I'm going to go Fulham versus Brentford. My game is Newcastle versus Manchester City. New money versus Oilchester City. Let's see what these big spenders can do on Sunday. Did you pick them as game of the week just so you could make that joke? Absolutely not. I promise. <laughs> so I did all consider uh, the Newcastle versus Man City game as well uh, for reasons that w- I will bring up. When we preview the actual games, I just I think one of the those two games is going to be closer in score, and I had to go with, with the game where I just see lots of fireworks. It was not a panic decision. Just like Manchester United panic buying. hey Oh, we will, we will get to that. Don't you worry. Oh, and I'm aware, and I have things to say. All right, well, let's start with that first match. Spurs versus Wolves. My score prediction for this game is 3-1, to one, Tottenham winning. We've seen that Tottenham can score goals. We know they have goal scorers. Wolves, not so much so far this season after two games. I also have... I also have Tottenham winning. I mean, I don't see how Tottenham can lose this match. I have them winning 2 nothing. I could easily see them scoring three or four goals, honestly. Do we know how many matches Conte is going to miss from that red card he received? For Nunez, he the minimum is three games unless you appeal it. So I don't know if Conte and Tuchel were both going to miss several matches because that seems kind of harsh to miss three matches for a post-game red card, which... Really was just an escalation of their tempers and not much came about it. And, you know, they both handled it very well after the match. I know the last thing I read was that Conte believes that neither of them should get a touchline ban, but there still isn't necessarily any ruling from the FA as of Friday morning. Yeah, I checked last night as well. I was very surprised, uh, especially like when Nunez has a three-game suspension now. And so I'm surprised that Conte and Tuchel, whatever's going on with them, that that hasn't been officially announced for how many matches they're going to miss. They have to miss at least one, I would assume, for getting that red. So I don't know what's happening after that. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. A um, couple of interesting things here. Number one, when it comes to their head-to-head, they're actually pretty close to being even. They've played each other 16 times. Tottenham have won eight of those. Wolves have won five. So they're not terrible when it comes to matching up with each other. But Wolves have had their tough time scoring this season. They're sitting at a negative one goal differential. Spurs, positive four. I agree with you on the wolf, on the Wolves, on the Wolf Pack, having some issues with scoring this season. Did you know how much they dominated possession by in each of their first two matches? Not off the top of my head. 60% in each match. That's pretty good. Their issue is scoring. They don't know how to put the ball in the back of the net. Through two games this season, they've had one shot on target. That's not good. And... Honestly, Tottenham has a good goalie. Over the last year, Tottenham's goalie ranks in the 91st percentile among top European leagues in clean sheets, and he should have an easy time keeping Wolverhampton off the scoreboard. The Spurs have not dominated possession as much, but they did play Chelsea last week, and you know they still got the 2-2 draw because they took advantage of their opportunities. The reason I didn't predict Spurs scoring any more than two goals is because last season Wolves gave up the fifth fewest goals in the English Premier League. Tottenham was was fourth. So these two teams, at least last season, they can play defense. They can prevent the other team from scoring. And so I just, it was a gut feeling that I, I, I can't just claim that, that Tottenham's going to score three or four goals, but I don't think this is going to be a close match whatsoever. I am interested to see how Tottenham uses Richarlison to see when hope, who's probably going to 
be on the bench, but it's going to be interesting to see at what minute he comes on. Because, like I said, I don't think this is going to be a close match, or at least it's not going to feel like a close match. So I think that's going to be something interesting to watch. And as I was going through the Spurs this season, did you notice who for them hasn't scored yet? Sun. I think Sun, Sun comes into this game, and he rips a ball into the back of the net. So last time they, these two teams met, though, the Wolves did win 2 nothing. So it's not that the Wolves can't beat Tottenham, and maybe they'll pull off the upset. I think the Spurs, after their game last week, with the draw, how heated up they are, I I think they're going to win this game. I just hope they're not too emotionally drained after last week because sometimes a match like that coming back twice with the energy that was, they had to play in that play within that game. A little worried about the emotional drainage, but I don't think this will be a close game. No, I don't think it will be a close game either. But speaking of players that I want to see how teams use, Wolves do have a new signing in Nunez. So let's see what he can do to shake up the midfield, maybe provide more of an attacking presence. Also. He is now the 10th Portuguese international that Wolves have. They are, a, are you serious? Yes. They are a team that just brings in every Portuguese international that they can. I will say for the national team for Portugal, that's not bad at all for them because it means that their players are playing in the English Premier League and it means they're playing together. So they're going to have that familiarity when they step onto the pitch wearing their country's colors instead of their club colors. So let's see what actually happens in this game. Again, we're both of the same mind. Spurs are going to win handily. All right, I think it's time to move on to Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Who you got for this game? Neither. You you calling your shot? You calling the tie? calling the tie. I'm calling a 2-2 tie. Boo. Listen, listen, listen. They have gone against each other 20 times in history. Even after two games, their stats are basically dead even. Neither team really has a significant edge. Neither team have really impressed. Normally, I would say, great, Crystal Palace, they drew against the likes of Liverpool. That's really impressive. But as we know, Liverpool got off to not the best start. Still better than Manchester United, but not the best start. Look. Crystal Palace is not the Glass Palace. It's not easy to break them. They are a hard crystal fortress. And I have them winning this game 2-1. to one. Now, I agree with you that these two teams, are, they're actually pretty evenly matched. But I'm going to take into account their schedules up until this point. Crystal Palace have had to go through Arsenal and Liverpool. Go, now they just get Aston Villa. So unless they just overly hype themselves for those first two matches where to the point where it will be difficult to be in this match mentally, I think Crystal Palace is going to have a much easier time. We talked about in that first match against Arsenal where that score was deceiving and Crystal Palace actually had a chance to at least tie the match. And against Liverpool, you know, they, they tied. Now Liverpool did finish the game with 10 men. However, Crystal Palace's goal came when Liverpool had all 11 of their men. I think Crystal Palace has a really good shot here. They actually won the possession battle against Arsenal at 56%. They were able to have 10 shots in that match, and they were able to have 7 shots against Liverpool. Aston Villa had, they've played Everton, and they've played Bournemouth. Not exactly two of the best teams in the Premier League. There will be plenty of shots, though, in this game. Aston Villa had 12 and 15 shots in their first two matches. Crystal Palace had 10 shots and 7 shots. I do feel like there will be at least three goals in this in this match, just because both teams are going to shoot it. I am a little concerned about the lack of goals by both teams. 
since Crystal Palace had zero in the first week and only one last week. Um, Aston Villa has scored twice, but like both goals came in the same game. So take that with a grain of salt. But I will say neither team has let up a lot of goals. So I could also see like a one nothing match with Crystal Palace still winning. But you're, you are correct. Aston Villa have had a relatively easy start to the season compared to the Arsenal and the Liverpool that Crystal Palace had to face off against. Are we going to see Gerrard's skilled players show up with the likes of Coutinho, Bowen, Danny Ings? We know those players can score. They can create chances. So they need to show up and honestly not give a poor showing that we've seen so far from Aston Villa because it has not been the most convincing two games so far for them. But that's also a thing. Who's going to have more confidence? Palace drawing at, at Liverpool or Aston Villa who got their first win last week? So I just feel that Crystal Palace is going to get at least one goal. And I think that they are just going to take this match. They're going to get the three points. All right. You heard it. You heard it here first. But I think it's time to move on. So we have to. We have to. You. I don't like this next match. That's fine. At least yours is out of the way early. Go ahead and introduce it. Everton versus Nottingham Forest. What's your score prediction? I have 0-0. I have a tie. And here's the thing. I wanted to pick Everton so badly. I really did. I I think if they're going to have a shot against any team, it's got to be Nottingham Forest. It's... I just, I just don't see how Everton's going to get any goals. Um, they lost one nothing to Chelsea. They lost to Aston Villa, and the only goal they had in the match against Aston Villa was an own goal. I, I had made a joke that if, and when we were discussing this, that if Manchester United doesn't score against Liverpool, that Manchester United's goal of the month will be an own goal. Everton's in the same freaking boat. They're both on the Titanic. I think it hit the iceberg, and then it hit a second iceberg that no one saw coming. Here's the thing. When we talk about Man United and we joke about how bad they are right now, it's funny because it's Man United and they have their great history and the drama around them. But with Everton, it's just sad. Like, you just you just want them to do so well. No one ever feels threatened by them. There's just that, like, younger brother that you just, like, hope does okay. It's just, this is pitiful. I mean, it's not the best first two games of the season that they've had. But on Everton, I'm going to throw this out there. As I was looking over the match for Everton Nottingham Forest, um, their kits popped up. Their away kit, big fan of that. Everton's? Oh yeah, you like the, you would like that one. I do. I like a good pink jersey. I have I have the Manchester United pink one from what four years ago. Love a good pink jersey. But here's also something interesting. This is the first time these teams are playing each other. In the Premier League in 23 years. The last time they played in the Premier League was the last time Nottingham Forest was in the Premier League. I mean, that, that's fair. You can't play in the Premier League if you're not in the Premier League. But they can still play against each other. That's the interesting part. So, and here's the thing for my prediction. I talked about Everton not being able to score this season. Their entire defensive strategy is putting 11 men between the ball and the goal. Nottingham Forest, I don't know if they necessarily have all the skill in the world to be able to beat a strategy such as that. Uh, You know, they could always get a corner kick or they just get one great ball that beats the defense. Nottingham Forest did look really good last week, and that worries me. Their new players are stepping up. Maybe it just took them, you know, a couple games to find their groove. They definitely have the better players in this matchup. Everton, they're allowing over 
on average, one and a half goals per match in their last 10 games. The first half being more painful, where they've conceded nine goals and six of them being in the first 15 minutes of the half. These are some advanced stats right here, folks. Groundskeepers, I hope you're taking notes over there. I I went deep into the analytics. I found an analytics guy, and he's really helping me understand just how pitiful this team is performing. I, and, you know, I, I need to talk about one of our players that wants to leave this club. Andrew, may I have the floor? Mm, yeah. I want to talk about Gordon. This kid, he shows some promise, but apparently he's unhappy at Everton and wants to play elsewhere. Specifically, he has mentioned Chelsea. Gordon, you're a good friend of this pod. Right now, I feel like I need to give you some brotherly advice. You know, like, as your older brother. Right now, you need to stay at Everton. Because you can't even stand out on this team. How do you think you're going to do at Chelsea? You think they're going to give you any playing time over there? You think you're going to beat out the three guys who are in front of you and clearly more skilled than you right now? You think you're going to take Havertz's spot? Mount spot? You're not even going to take Pulisic's spot coming off the bench. What are you going to do over there? Just practice and be on the training squad? At least if you're at Everton, you have a chance to prove yourself because you're going to be starting every single match. Have some common sense. You need to find a camp that is telling you better advice. I'm here for you. As a genuine friend and as I feel as your older brother, you you need to stay put. Prove yourself at Everton and then in the next transfer window, find another club. A lot of opinion there. A lot of a lot of heart went into that statement, and I agree with you. This man has some oversized, inflated ego for some unknown reason. Who thinks he's good enough for Chelsea? All of a sudden, no, 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 no. Don't think so. Don't think so, little man. But yeah, honestly, that's ridiculous. It, it is. It's actually quite. I do think that um, Nottingham Forest are going to win this game. My square prediction is actually Nottingham Forest two, Everton one. Is it, is it going to be an own goal? No, I think they'll actually score one. But I do think that Nottingham Forest will edge this game because they have a few more attacking-minded players. Don't forget, Nottingham Forest signed 12 people so far in this transfer window. They have spent over $100 million. They just got promoted to the Premier League, and they are spending more money than Manchester United, LOL. But I'm, I'm calling man of the match right now, Dean Henderson, again, because he will be called upon more than we think. And he's the only reason they haven't lost every game so far. I told myself after last week, I would no longer predict these matches with optimism for Everton. And after predicting a 0-0 draw, I still think that's the optimist (laughs) inside of me thinking we can keep Nottingham out of the goal. But we are playing at home. So, you know, maybe that'll help. Maybe the energy of this crowd will aid this team in being able to stop Nottingham Forest and maybe aid in deforestation. Yeah, playing at Goodison Park is always a plus for you guys. That is definitely true. Oh my God, those fans love that team. Groundskeepers, if you haven't watched Everton play a match at home, it is a sight to behold. Like this, that community, you can feel their emotions coming out of them they absolutely love that team more than anything in the world. All right, but we're moving on because if we spend too much time on that match, Mateo will also get sad. On to Fulham versus Brentford. My match of the week. What's your score prediction then? I have three to two. I have a high scoring affair. Both teams can get goals and numbers. I don't expect less than three or four 
goals in this match. Groundskeepers, if you use the appropriate legal online gambling sites, I would hammer the over of two and a half goals because these T teams love to score. They play open football. I can't see either team being shut out unless one team is super unlucky. I'm talking about they, they're hitting the crossbar every time. There's like a last tiny deflection that just takes the ball wide. And I'm excited for this matchup. This is going to be a fun one. My score prediction is Fulham 2, Brentford 1. So a little bit less, but still at least three goals scored this game. I'm sorry, could you say that again? Fulham 2, Brentford 1. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. I didn't feel like going to look at your notes from the Google Doc. That's fine. Here's an interesting stat. Have these teams ever played each other in the Premier League? Uh, I'm going to go with no. Correct. They have never, in all the time that either team have been in the Premier League, they have never been in the Premier League at the same time. The last time these guys played each other was in the... Uh, the English League Championship, which is the league directly below the Premier League, and they each have two wins over their last five meetings. So they're pretty dead even. They both are going to perform well this game. I think they're both pretty consistent. Fulham have a little bit more of a consistent goalkeeper. Goalkeeper? What the fuck word is that? <laughs> I don't know, but you're going to keep that in there. Goalkeeper? Fulham have a more consistent goal scorer in Alexander Mitrovic than Brentford have overall. We know that Mitrovic got the golden boot last year in the EFL for their newly promoted side. Also, Fulham scored 106 goals. Brentford scored 48 last season. Now I get it's all relative because there's a higher level of competition in the Premier League, but 106 goals is still wild. That is still, I think, some of the most we've ever seen in any kind of league but we know Brentford like to attack. They love to take advantage of space. They love to take advantage of your mistakes, <clears throat> Manchester United. And so we know that they can score, and we know that they can what they can do against apparent top-level teams. I think that Brentford, I think they've looked pretty good this year. They came back from a 0-2 deficit to Leicester, and obviously they gave Man United an absolute just Beat down. I'm talking street fighter button mashing against a four-year-old that barely knows how to hold how to hold the joystick correctly. Joystick wasn't even plugged in. <laughs> you know, like when you give like a child a controller that's not plugged in because they want to play the video game with you. That's what Brentford did to United last week. Like I would do to my younger sibling when we would play Nintendo GameCube. Like we would do to my friend's younger siblings because I'm an only child. So. I was not able to do that with my non-existent sibling. But anyways, of the shots Brentford take, a high percentage of their shots are on target, which is always a good sign. Thomas Frank, he's got his side in top shape. And I want to talk about Brentford's player, Tony. Last season, he had 12 goals and 5 assists. He had more goals than any Chelsea player, which I think is impressive. Groundskeepers, we talked about it. The highest scorer for Chelsea last season only had 11 goals. So... Tony, he had he scored and assisted in Brentford's match against Leicester, and he had an assist against United. Brentford, they're actually a fun team to watch. If you haven't had a chance, you should watch them this week because they are my match of the week. Mitrovic, always a threat to score. I firmly believe if he gets another penalty that he will not miss it. 
And unlike PSG, who changes their penalty takers after a miss, Fulham will always give their penalty shot to Mitrovic. Fulham, the Fulham Express goes as Mitrovic goes. He is the conductor. And that'll be the storyline all season. I think Mitrovic is ready to go in, in this match, especially after missing the penalty last week. He checked all the rails for the entire journey for the Express. He made sure all the panels were working, that they were all in the language of his choosing to understand them. He is ready, and this match is going to be so exciting. It's going to be very exciting because Fulham are going to want to cement cement themselves as EPL mainstays, and Brentford are going to want to keep their winning form going. On to the next one, as Jay-Z would say. (laughs) (laughs) Leicester versus Southampton. And Mateo, how... How do you think this score scoreline is going to go? Ooh, I was I was going back and forth on this one. I have a high scoring affair, but it'll be very one sided. I have three to one for Leicester. That is a high scoring affair, and I have three to two for Leicester. So we are of the same mind that Leicester will get at least three goals, and they will also win. Yeah, Leicester they've scored twice in both their games this season. They gave up four goals to Arsenal. Southampton, they've scored twice against Leeds, once against Spurs, but they also gave up four goals to Spurs. So each team has given up four goals to somebody. I'm a little worried about the transfer rumors surrounding Leicester. Some of their best players are in the transfer rumors right now, and so I'm not sure how this team will be able to deal with something like that. Now, head-to-head, Leicester are unbeaten unbeaten in their last four games against Southampton in the English Premier League. You might ask, why do we have this as a high-scoring affair? Why do we think this is actually going to have more than four goals total? The last time these two teams met, Leicester scored four goals. (laughs) They both have goal scorers, and they both will be able to find goals this game. One person to watch on Southampton's squad is James Ward-Prowse. Can Jamie Vardy or James Madison show up this game for Leicester, that's going to be the real question. If they show up, goals are going to flow. And Leicester, they love playing at home. Which, by the way, is called King Power Stadium. And I dare you to tell me that doesn't sound like a track from Mario Kart. King Power Stadium, I can I can picture Bowser up at the top, right? A little Bowser head. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of gidget, widget, gadget thing that comes out of it to try to take you off the track, but I'm convinced that's a Mario Kart track. Back back to Leicester. Now, groundskeepers. Leicester, their nickname is the Foxes. Fox Eye, if you will. But they aren't, they're not like the nine-tailed fox from Naruto. They're more like a baby fox. A pup, if you will. No one is afraid of them. They can put up a few goals and look good, but no one's actually afraid of this team. In fact, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. They don't know how to close. Even if they get a lead, you know, they just they just don't know what to do with it. It's like a fox when it chases a car down the road. Once it catches the car, it doesn't know what to do with it. And then it just kind of gives up. They can't finish a game. They don't know how to close. Do you know why they can't read physical books? Do you know why they can only have audiobooks or Kindles? Because I'm afraid when they get to the end of the book, they just physically chuck it instead of closing it calmly. They don't know what to do when they get to the ending of a match. They just say, oh, it's over, right? Do they know the match is a full 90 minutes? Do they think it stops at like 60? I don't know how to follow that. (laughs) 
but well, actually, here we go. Speaking of not being able to close, we know Leicester like to pass and move the ball. We know they can do it well. They have an 85% passing accuracy over their first two games and over a thousand passes. Southampton have 77% accuracy in passing and just over 700. So they don't possess the ball much so far. But like you said, Leicester cannot finish. They do not know what to do in the attacking third. And if they want to actually win this game, which we both think they will, they need to figure that out, like yesterday. And also, Leicester, they need this win. They do not have an easy schedule coming up. They play Chelsea and then United. And yes, we joke about United, but United's not going to be an easy matchup for Leicester. So they really need to take advantage of a team such as Southampton. Southampton are currently on a five-game winless streak against the Foxes. Fox Eye. I could see this being a high-scoring affair, like you said, 3-2. I just feel that Leicester might dominate some of the possession a bit, and which is just going to decrease the chances for Southampton. And that's where I went with my 3-1 prediction. Also, I think both Vardy and Madison score in this game, but I would not put money on that. I don't think I'd put money on either of these teams currently. All right, let's go on to the next match, which, to be very honest, I don't have much to say about. We kind of know exactly what's going to happen here. I do not foresee any surprises in the Bournemouth versus Arsenal matchup. What score you got? I have Bournemouth getting a whopping zero goals and Arsenal getting at least four. Oh my God. Did you just say four? The big four. They can do it. I think that this Arsenal team as it sits is looking very good this year. Arteta is doing everything right, in my opinion. He has a good lineup. He has great unity on the pitch, on the training ground. He has the trust of his players. And that says a lot about what's happened over the last year and a half with him as coach. Because I know last season, people were calling for his his firing, his resignation, when they just had barely hired him. They didn't give him any time coming into a team that was in disarray. Kind of sounds like another team I know. God, I, I wish I could remember their name, though. Oh, wait. Manchester United. Arsenal are going to win this game. Bournemouth aren't going to be able to do much. Also, I'm glad that Bournemouth are at home because they're away kits. What do you expect from a team called the Cherries? Um, A little bit more pizzazz. How am I supposed to respect a club that's called the Cherries? Like, I just don't understand. Whoever thought of that, they should be fired. I'm sure that was made up a long time ago, so that person's probably like dead now. But the Cherries is... That's god awful. I I have Arsenal winning two nothing. It could I could easily see three four goals by Arsenal. This controlled pinball machine of an attack is wonderful to watch. You know what it reminds me of? When I was a child, I had the Monsters Inc. pinball machine game, the one on the computer. And this team is super scary right now, so it fits them. They are the Monsters Inc. pinball machine game. The teams don't know how to defend them yet. They just pass around you. They're quick. They know exactly what they're doing. They impose their will on the other team. I don't see how Bournemouth can win this game. They've only beaten Arsenal once in the Premier League. That was in January of 2018. It was a 2-1 to match. I am predicting another goal for the savior of Arsenal, also known as Gabriel Jesus. Arteta has his club firing on all cylinders right now. All of their players are just going to dominate and have a field day. And if Arsenal, I will say, if they expect to be 
top four come season's end, they need to take advantage of weaker teams. That is true. They have the ability to take advantage and to rack up the goal differential against weaker teams. Groundskeepers, this is one of those matches where if there's a highlight from, from a goal, that's amazing. Watch that. Otherwise, don't even bother with this match. On to our next match, which is going to be, I think, fun. I think it's, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Still not match of the week to watch for me or Mateo, but it's going to be fun. Leeds versus Chelsea. I have Chelsea winning this match 2-0. Uh, both teams, they had 2-2 draws last weekend, but Chelsea definitely played the more quality team in Tottenham. I don't really see how Chelsea could lose this match unless they were super unfortunate. Do we do we know about Waluigi yet, if he's going to be coaching this match? Will Tuchel be on the sidelines? I'm assuming he's going to miss this match because of the, the red card, but I'm waiting for these official statements to come out from the Premier League. Yeah, again, same with him and Conti. Not sure exactly. They're still kind of up in the air. I haven't seen any news as we've been sitting here recording this. I haven't seen anything come up about if they're going to actually receive the ban or if it's or if they're going to receive further punishment for their bust up after the previous game. Um, I do see one article. Looks like it was from a couple of days ago. He's going to miss Tuchel will miss this match, it looks like. But then the article says he could be forced to watch from the stands, so I don't understand what the heck is going on. Yeah, still, still don't really know. I've it's either going to be a like game time decision, or they might bring us news later this afternoon. The Premier League hasn't made their official statement. If they do not make a statement, my assumption is that both managers will miss their matches because for a red card, you do have to miss at least one match. I also see Chelsea winning. I'm not as grim as you. I think Leeds will score. So Chelsea, three, Leeds, one. Now, one of the reasons I think the scoreline is going to have at least a Leeds goal is Chelsea barely won against an underperforming Everton. Actually, a pretty terrible Everton. Sorry, Mateo. I think Leeds has a little bit more fight in them to really give Chelsea a run for their money. They are resilient, energetic. Even if they go down a goal, they're not going to stop and let Chelsea keep scoring. They're going to fight, but I think that Chelsea will edge past them with three goals regardless. I think this will be one of those matches where the skill differential between the teams is going to be the the real difference here. I do think Leeds is going to fight the entire match. I think they will be ready for this. I just think that the skill of Chelsea is too much at this point. At Chelsea, I think that game against Everton, it may have just been a flop. First game of the season. I'm a little worried about Chelsea the same way I was worried about Tottenham with the emotional drainage of the previous week. Tottenham was able to come back, so they may be a little, they may be in better spirits. Chelsea lost their lead twice on two controversial no calls, so they may be a bit more affected by that game. I expect Chelsea to dominate possession. They had 64% possession in their match against Spurs, and I expect them to play around a lot near their opponent's box. I believe the walls of bossing Chelsea. See what I did there? Bossing say, bossing Chelsea. Thank you, groundskeepers. I believe that to hold up against Leeds. Uh, I don't. I'm not quite sure yet how Conte's injury will affect this team. He'll be out for another month with that hamstring. I would like to see what Tuchel does if he changes anything. Because as we have both agreed, at least on one point, Havertz has been underperforming. So is he going to keep him starting? Is he going to change things up if if Conte is actually if he is out of the lineup injured as he said 
what will Tuchel do? I would love to see Pulisic go into the starting 11. I would, I would, I mean, I really love that considering I think he deserves to be there. I think when he is in the lineup, he performs very well. And this may be a good match for Pulisic to start. He's playing against some of his American countrymen. So he's going to want to show up for that. Havertz and Mount haven't really done much up until this point in the season. And also, my sources are telling me that Bamford will not be playing this weekend against Chelsea. That is a big loss for Leeds. He's actually a very good goal scorer for them. I think that will definitely affect them. Um, But as we saw, Rodrigo can get goals, some pretty incredible goals. Um, But really quickly, I'm going to touch back on the the Pulisic starting. One thing I don't understand is why Tuchel is overlooking his potential at Chelsea. Tuchel's the one who gave him his start at Dortmund in the Bundesliga. He is the reason that Pulisic is kind of where he is now. If not for Tuchel, he may not have had the start that he had to his career. He may not be playing at the level that he is. So I'm not sure where this kind of lack of faith in him is coming from. I wonder if, because we're not there every day on the training grounds, even though if Chelsea, if you would like to invite us, we will gladly come to your training. We will, you know, we'll be on the sideline. You won't even know we're there. We won't make comments. I promise we'll be, we'll be, we'll be good boys. But maybe it's just like on the training grounds that Pulisic isn't as good as the other two. But at some point you have to realize that Avers and Mount just haven't done much on, on the pitch itself. I, I'm not sure if it's because of the, I don't know if the, one of these players is more expensive than the other. So Tuchel feels like he has to play them. I just, I don't understand why Pulisic isn't getting more chances considering the poor quality of Havertz and Mount. Definitely agree with you on that one. As we both agreed, Chelsea are going to win this game pretty handily. Leeds are going to have to fight hard if they want to come up with any kind of result, but we'll see how it goes. It's still going to be a fun game to watch. On to our next match, which is West Ham versus Brighton. I am not looking forward to this match. I think this is going to be boring. And not in the way of like Arsenal, the Arsenal match being boring because Arsenal is just going to dominate. This is just not going to be an exciting match. I do have a 1-1 draw prediction, though. I have a 2-1 win for West Ham prediction. I think that they might, hopefully, they'll be able to actually finish in front of goal this game. But in their head-to-head, West Ham have never beaten Brighton. In the 10 matches that they've played, they have never beaten Brighton. They also have yet to register a goal this season. But, But they're still higher on the table than United. They are. They're still higher on the table than United. They don't lack for chances, though. They have an average of 12 a game so far, but they just haven't found that finishing touch. And West Ham, last season, they were, I believe, seventh in goals scored. So I'm trying to just figure out, you know, what happened to that scoring from last season to this season. Why are they off to such a slow start? Granted, they did play Man City in the first game, which is always a difficult matchup. And Brighton have, they've just been a weird team. So they beat United, but then they couldn't find the back of the net against Newcastle. So I just, I don't know what to do with Brighton yet. They have scored 18 goals in the last 10 games. Last season, West Ham defensively, they're about at par with a typical Premier League side for goals conceded. This season though, they are giving up more goals than the average EPL team. It's just, this is such a weird matchup. Neither one of these teams I expect to really dominate. 
I could see West Ham going 2-1, as you had predicted. I could also see Brighton just winning this matchup 1-0 if West Ham's offensive woes continue. But it's just, it's just, just not an exciting matchup whatsoever. There's not even any drama around these two teams. They're just kind of there. I mean, Brighton are off to a hot start in comparison with a win and a draw, but they also kind of lack that finishing touch last week against Newcastle. The real question is, will they be able to find the net and take advantage of West Ham's mistakes like they did against Manchester United? One of my friends who's a West Ham fan through and through had this to say about West Ham so far. They said, I think they're putting all their eggs in Declan Rice's basket. Don't get me wrong, he's an amazing player, but they should definitely spread out that attention across the team, which I agree with her. I think they do definitely rely heavily on Declan Rice. They've made some great signings. They have great players. I mean, even last season, Declan Rice was not one of their top scorers. He actually only had, I think, one goal the whole season. I think so, according to according to the stat sheet. If I'm wrong, we'll correct we'll correct that. I think Jared Bowen and Mikel Antonio, if they can find their form, their scoring form again. I think West Ham will win this game. Like we've both agreed, it's going to be pretty boring and not in the fun way. But with that, I think it's time to move on to the next match. I believe this is your match of the week. My match of the week. Newcastle versus Manchester City. Let me hear it. This is going to be a surprising scoreline prediction for you. I predict a 2-2 draw. You heard it. You heard that right. 2-2. Now look. The head-to-head does not favor Newcastle. They have only won eight of the 44 times they've played each other, and City have won 28. And in their last five meetings, City have won each one and outscored them 20-3. to I know my prediction is a stretch. New Money, a.k.a. Newcastle, have brought in some decent players. They also have brought in a great goalie in Nick Pope. Will they have to kind of play the way that Everton plays and park 11 men behind the ball? Yeah, most likely. But can they find the counterattack? Because I think that Manchester City are going to press so high against this team because they know that they can dominate possession. They know that they can pretty much keep the ball most of the game. But I think that Newcastle, with the players they have, will be able to find a quick counterattack once in a while and potentially get a goal. I disrespectfully disagree with you i have man city winning three nothing i could see it being three to one um friends of this pod if you are a are a betting person i would be smashing that button for a city win i would be smashing it for over one and a half goals and i would be lightly tapping it for over two and a half goals I think Newcastle will have a very hard time because of how City just loves to dominate possession. I do believe that Newcastle's best chance might be counterattacks, and they do have an improved defense from last season. But will it be enough to stop the Norwegian cyborg? Because I think Holland gets at least one goal in this game. I'll say De Bruyne gets an assist because it's probably going to be two Holland as a through ball. I don't even have many notes on this on this matchup because I think Man City are just going to win and dominate. I, I, you know, I do think Newcastle might put up a fight, but I just don't think they can hang with Man City for an entire ninety minutes. Well, I'm going to throw up some interesting stats for you. 
go for it. Even though Manchester City have had fairly easy opponents so far this season, they have registered less shots on target than Newcastle. Who have how have, have Newcastle, Newcastle scored any of those shots on target? No. No. Yeah, so I don't But care. they're still on target. I don't care. You can pass it to the goalie and it'll be a shot on target. If it's not going in, it's not going in. All right, relax. I said disrespectfully. Disagree. Put out put out the fire in your britches. Newcastle can't just focus on shutting Holland down because we know that they can score without him. But I think I root for the underdog in the in these types of games, especially when I know that there's a slight chance that they can maybe get a goal or two, but especially when they're playing against a personal rival. Well, I do I think that Newcastle will win? Absolutely not. But I think that if things go right for them from the kickoff, it'll be at least a draw. I mean, you can only go one of three ways. I think you and I differ in I don't root for underdogs. I it's just never been who I am. I mean, I'm not going to root for City. But but you're rooting for Newcastle. You just said you're you're going with the underdog. Absolutely you're for the underdog. I I can't root for underdogs necessarily unless it's my team that is the underdog. I just I I think Man City's just going to be ready for this matchup. I think Holland will be ready. I think he's very mad about his performance in the last match. I think he doesn't enjoy the fact that he did not score, did not get an assist, and I think he will be very determined to tear apart Newcastle's defense. I believe they're going to go back to the strategy of Holland making 100,000 runs to try to get behind that defense with De Bruyne just giving that through ball. And then Holland will be one-on-one with the goalie, and he will score. All remain to be seen. Do you want to introduce the last game so I don't cry? No, I think you should do it. The last game that we're going to preview for you is Manchester United versus Liverpool. I wish it was easy to give you a score prediction for this because I literally can't predict that United will even score a goal. I thought about this the entire time I put my notes in. I didn't even put down a score prediction until after I had all my notes ready for this episode. Liverpool are going to win. It's going to be 3-1. Do I hate that score prediction? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to come true? More than likely. United have zero presence on the field so far as we've stated their goal this their goal of the month is going to be an own goal if they don't score on monday but these these two teams are not without their rivalry they've they've played each other 60 times united have won 28 of them and even in the last five united have won three of those games yeah one of them was a club friendly but i'll still take it as a last five win I think I groundskeepers. I honestly think this may have been the hardest match of the week to predict the score. I think Liverpool is going to win this match, but I think this match may have the highest standard deviation of goals scored. This is just the randomness of how many goals Liverpool could score. Honestly, United might be able to squeak one out and get a goal. I I had originally I wrote Liverpool one, United nothing. I could also see Liverpool scoring three or four. I could see United somehow pulling off a one nothing win if everything bounces correctly their way. But I am going to go with Liverpool winning this match. I think Liverpool will be able to rip apart that single-ply wet toilet paper of a defense that United puts on the field. 
I don't even care that Nunez is going to miss three Premier League games. Honestly, I don't think it'll hurt Liverpool that much because I'm not sure how well he fits into this squad right now. I'm more more worried about when he comes back, how he's going to fit in with this team. Something about Nunez just isn't working. But my sources are telling me that Firmino is expected to return to fitness in time for this match. Salah and Diaz are just going to dominate. And then, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I do think United can take advantage of Liverpool's defense. But more specifically, I think they can take advantage of the sheep in wolf's clothing who goes by the name of Trent Alexander-Arnold. Because we both know he's not a defender. And he may be the most overrated player in the entire Premier League. But Liverpool may have two of the most overrated players. Because I'm starting to question Salah a little bit. I believe that maybe this team doesn't flow through him. That it flowed through Mane last season. And now Salah is being a bit exposed. However, with that being said, I do think Salah scores in this match. I just think it's time for him. Him and Diaz are going to carry this team, I think, for these 90 minutes. And it's, I can't watch. It's a Monday match, which I hate. I hate that they do Monday matches for no reason whatsoever. You know, I can't, I can't wait for to watch this match. Yeah, the Monday matches that we all know and love so much. But except for me, I'm not looking forward to this Monday. Teams like, like Liverpool, like Chelsea, like Tottenham, we expect them to win in this day and age of the Premier League. We used to expect United to win. But now in this post-Fergie era, which groundskeepers Fergie, a.k.a. Sir Alex Ferguson, arguably, actually, no, not even arguably, hands down the best manager in football history, was the manager for Manchester United for 26 years. And he brought them any kind of glory you can think of, any trophy, he won it. In this post-Fergie era, I ex- I'm i kind of expecting Manchester United to lose because they have not really done anything over the last nine years. I mean, I can make a whole solo episode on what's wrong with United, how they could fix it, why they're in the position that they're in, why they've gone through five managers in nine years, but I'm not going to drone on about it. Ooh, can I have a question? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I want to ask a question about this. Ask. Because I, I heard an interesting theory the other day about United and why they're in this position. Because honestly, fans, let's let's just be real here. United haven't been relevant since the early 2000s. They, they, they had the three-peat, 2007, 2008, 2009. And then they won 11 and 13. But their dominance ended in the early 2000s. I'm talking about absolute dominance. And you need to stop living in the past. That was a different decade. United, you need to get realistic. But I heard an interesting thing the other day that part of the reason United's in this position is because they refused to go into a true rebuild mode. They kept trying to like add these pieces as if they were like one piece away. But they were really like five pieces away from being a top tier team within the Premier League. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, that perhaps ownership was too scared to go into a true rebuild mode for even one year, and that's caused this string of poor signings and poor play for almost a decade now. Do I think the ownership were too scared? Absolutely not. Why? Because I don't think the ownership gave a shit. The Glaciers do not care about football. 
They don't care about Manchester United. They haven't done anything but take money out of the club. What was it? I think $600 million that was used to buy the club in 2005 is still an outstanding debt. They have not put a dime into it, it being Manchester United. I don't think that they really care what's been happening, but I'll get to I'll get to that in a second. But I think that every single time they've brought in a new manager, the expectation is you need to perform just like Fergie did. He is the pedestal and if you don't meet and exceed that pedestal, you're you're done. That's why they've gone through five managers in 9 years. Which is a terrible thought process, by the way, because you have to give a manager. I am. I believe that you have to give a manager at least two seasons. And feel free to disagree with me. The first season, generally, it's not his team yet because he hasn't brought in all the players that he wants. But you know, you can see the progression throughout the season. And then the second full season, I believe, is when by that point the manager will have more of the players that he wanted to sign, and his style of play will be more. Um, you know, the team will play that. So I've, I am under the impression and the feeling that you should give a manager at least two seasons to see progression and if they are worthy of staying on as the manager for the club. That I would agree with 100%. And look, and we have perfect exa- examples of that. Look at Conte at Tottenham. Not great the first year. Doing a lot better since then. Tuchel, same. But I will say football fans and football ownership are very quick, especially when you're a mid to top tier club. They are very quick to fire you and find someone new. Real Madrid does this all the time. But they just expect that any manager can come in with any group of players and immediately win. And when it doesn't work, ownership finds someone new. And honestly, I'm tired of it. I don't think it's fair to the coaches. Now, yeah, some coaches just suck. But you got to at least give them a chance to finish the season. It just it blows my mind that there's just no more patience for managers who have to lead. There's, a, you know, these big-name players, There's they're playing in multiple leagues, and it's not an easy job whatsoever, and they're trying to have players buy into their system. Agreed. And the last, the the third one I was trying to think of was Arsenal and Arteta. <laughs> Not a great start by any means, but now look what he's been doing with them. But I'm going to go on a quick rant. So groundskeepers, sit back, relax, grab a drink, enjoy your popcorn, because here we go. I don't know what United are going to do differently against Liverpool to eke out any kind of result. Are they going to start young players? Who who on this team has the passion to actually go out and perform against Liverpool? Because I'm not seeing it from anyone in a United shirt. I don't see it from Ronaldo. I don't see it from Fernandez. Not from De Gea. I'm not seeing anyone who actually wants to play on this team. So what are they going to do? They have 13 days until the transfer window closes. Now, there have been a lot of rumors lately, especially in the last 48 hours, with the likes of Casemiro from Real Madrid, Pulisic from Chelsea, Gakpo, Mounier, Griezmann, Savic, 
Anthony again. Honestly, sign them all. Take them on loan. I don't give a fuck. They are all better and more hungry players than the majority of the squad we have now. Casemiro seems to be in advanced talks. United are trying to get him signed and through a medical actually today. So we might see some news about that pretty quick. They, they want him to play against Liverpool. Is that hasty and I think a little unrealistic? Yes. Pulisic. Honestly, bring him in. He deserves game time. And being on loan, he has nothing to prove to Manchester United. It's not like he's a new big money signing that has to win the hearts and minds of everyone there. He can just perform and play at United and then show Chelsea that he deserves a starting spot whenever the loan spell is over. Bring him in. Why not? If not, then go to Italy, man. Like, Go play where you're, where you're going to get playing time. Also, going to throw this out there. Before last week, Manchester United apparently didn't have any money for big transfers. They went for the likes of Marco and Rabio. But now, now that the fan base and United staff are calling for the Glaciers to leave, all of a sudden, we've got money to splurge on Casemiro. We've got money to splurge on Anthony. First initial bids for Anthony were around $60 million. Now we are bidding $80 million to try and sign this player. Where did this money come from? But it just shows you to it just it it just goes to show that the Glaziers are only in this for the money. They could care less about the club and the city that cherishes it. They're trying to basically blind United fans with quote unquote it's excitement and short term happiness to get these players in just so they can kind of take eyes off and take pressure away from bids to buy the club. Personally, I think the Glaziers need to be out. I think that they need to have someone better suited run the, to own and run the club. People who actually care about football, people who actually care about Manchester, they they just don't care. The club is never going to progress and even find any sort of former glory as it sits with them running the ship. But I digress. I do still think Liverpool are going to win and do so handily. United are going to have to put something together to stem the flow of goals. And so we'll see. Are they going to be ghosts, as Matteo so kindly put it last week, or are they going to have any kind of corporeal presence on the, in the, on the pitch? I can't even say that for certain. Rant over. Friends, please, please check in on your United friends. They, they're not doing well, if you can't tell. <laughs> they just, at this point, they just want to make sure they avoid relegation which is not something I, I thought I would be saying. I knew it would be rough for this club this season. By the way, the deal is officially done for Casemiro. No shit. We have breaking news on the pod. We have breaking news. Which We don't even have a drop for that. We need a drop for breaking news. Is it? My sources are telling me it is done. $60 million plus $10 million in add-ons. Another piece of breaking news I'm going to bring up really quick. Apparently, Anthony didn't train with the squad and is not in the starting 11 for their most recent game, which could be could be something. And I do see, uh, yeah, man, uh, Casemiro, here we go. Oh, shit. That's honestly, it's, a, it's going to be interesting. Is he going to solve all the, the midfield issues? No. Will he be a help? Absolutely. I think that plus they've got now Varane. Casemiro, Ronaldo, they've all played together. They all were under Real Madrid's dominance. So maybe they can have a little, I don't know, synergy from that and boost the club. 
Well, I, I think we should end on the good news of that signing because we really can't go up from there. And Manchester United have nowhere to go but up. Well, no, th- there is relegation. No, they, they only have up to go from here. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Well, friends, thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Grounds Pod. We very much appreciate all your support. Please continue giving us feedback so that we can improve this this podcast as we would love to you know, quit our jobs to be able to do this full time. We, once again, are in the market for a producer and editor of this pod. They will be paid in one beer or cup of coffee per episode. And please like, share, subscribe. We are so, so, so close to being able to get monetization from this podcast. We're not too many listeners away from that. So please tell all your friends. Please listen to this multiple times. You don't even have to listen to it. You can just hit play and walk away. You know, just give your phone something to do. Use this as background noise for something else that you actually want to do. But please, please continue to listen to us. Uh, We absolutely love this sport. We love all the people that have reached out to us to say that while they are not huge football fans, they are trying to get into the sport. And they told us that our podcast has actually really helped them. So we, we love that. We love to grow this game, and yeah, we just we just love talking football. 